Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. Holly, we're back, and you are showing off your awesome uh, side. Oh my gosh, my br- I got to say my brain today is just off. What is the side part of shaved part of your hair cool. called? Und- undercut. Okay. My brain just had like one of those moments where it just blanked. But I also wonder if in Spanish it's like side something and that's why. Yeah. Side I don't think so. I, it's not, I don't think this is like a Spanish thing. I think <laughs> I just, this is like. I tried a, to give you an out there. I tried. To yeah. I think this is like a week before my period thing where my brain is just like not at peak level. This is, this is just my, like when I'm doing jujitsu, I just tie it on my head and then after jiu-jitsu yesterday I was like okay let's just stay in here um yeah the reason I shaved my sides of my head back in the day was because it was better for jiu-jitsu because I was doing so much and this mm-hmm. time I just shaved it for fun but I was like oh my god this is so much more convenient for jiu-jitsu still also we're going into summer which to be fair you're not gonna get a summer in San Francisco you know that right um but compared to the UK it's like summer all the time so yeah that's a good point it's still good I'm already that's like hmm, sunshine every day like Rain. Is it beta breakers really soon? I don't know what that is. Okay. So this actually has to do with what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Because so today we are going to talk about alcohol intake um, and a little bit about our alcohol intake sort of past and present. And um, and beta breakers is, it is a, I think it's like a 10K run or maybe it's a half marathon. I don't know, but it's run from the like downtown San Francisco all the way to the outer sunset. And all along the route, it's essentially, it used to be like this giant party. And so I remember when I lived in San Francisco, I would get together and, and everybody dresses up in costumes. And so it's, I remember- Indeed, it's in 16 days. Yeah. So I, I mean, it'll probably go, I mean, you live in the outer sunset, so it'll go through your neighborhood. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I have to say like, when you said beta breakers, I've obviously been doing too much neuroscience stuff. And I was like, beta breakers. So I, I Googled- beta like b-e-t-a <laughs> breakers and then it came up and was like do you mean bay to breakers and I was like yes. that's probably what I mean yes, yes. <laughs> and although is, you could me. dress up like as a neuron or something and <laughs> yeah so, so great this looks really fun it it is nothing less well if it's anything like it was when I was in my early 20s it is a an the only word to describe it is a shit show an absolute and utter shit show, but it's a fun shit show. I mean, I remember, I remember the last years in San Francisco. Yeah, great, I think we, great highway in Noriega. It's going to be like 10 minute. I can just yeah. walk over there. I can walk over there. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I remember the, yeah, the last year I dressed up, we dressed up all as like old people. So we got, we got like walkers and like, like, moo, like moo-moos and like, and my, I can, my I can friends. see that two of the, two of the first aid stations have stars next to them, which the website says, indicate that this station is also a sobering center yeah <laughs> at least they've, wi- the they've vibe, wised up the they know they know <laughs> what's going on and so the whole like if you are familiar with san francisco if you're not familiar with san francisco there is so if in the lead up to golden gate park like coming from the city there's sort of a long area that has like grass in the middle and then you get to, to Golden Gate Park. And then on the other side of Golden Gate Park is like the sunset. So in the lead up to Golden Gate Park, 
there's houses on either side of that grass area. And the entire grass area is like people in the houses partying, people on the grass area partying, and then people trying to like run the actual run, like going down the street. And it's just, I mean, if, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's overwhelming. If you have social anxiety, it's overwhelming. But yeah, if I go with, if I go with like one friend, I feel yeah. like I'd be like, you, if you go with a buddy, it's fantastic. I think you'll be great. Um, anyways, that was sort of Sunday, May 15th, 2020. Right. But Holly, I know you have a, a dad joke that you've been looking forward to I, talking about <laughs> all week. I, I excitedly messaged Jillian last week and was like, Jillian, I got the dad joke. So anyway, here we go. All right. Why do cows have hooves instead of feet? Why do they have hooves instead of feet? I don't know. Because they lack toes. Lactose. Lactose? Mm. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I loved it. I, I mean, like, I get lactose. it. All right. I mean, I get it. I get it. I, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, you sorry. Know what? I'm really, sad that wasn't as strong as a reaction as my Buddhist vacuum cleaner joke, but it's okay. I, the Buddhist vacuum cleaner joke was fantastic. <laughs> I do. I, I feel bad though. I feel like I should go back in time and like redo my reaction to that just because you're my friend and I want to support you. Oh, it's fine. I still yeah. enjoyed my joke. So well, it's all I'm good. Glad. I'm happy. Not everyone has to, have, has to have the same sense of humor. That's true. Just, but you're my friend and I want to It's just better you. if they have my sense of humor. You know? No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What are we doing today, Jillian? We are doing, we're talking about alcohol, friends. We're, alcohol is, it's, a, it's an interesting and, and somewhat, I don't want to say controversial, but it's a topic that there's a lot of opinions and thoughts on. And I think it's really confusing because some of those, those thoughts and some of the information that we get from alcohol is even, you know, here in Spain, for example, on their nutritional period, there's like wine on the nutritional period, pyramid. And so you hear all the time, you know, like X amount of, red, of glasses of red wine a week are healthy. And so we sort of think that a certain amount of alcohol intake is healthy, but also understanding that like with anything else in nutrition, your relationship to that thing is important. And also how your individual body reacts to that thing is also important. And so like with any nutritional recommendations, it's really hard to put a blanket statement around like X is healthy or X is not healthy. And I think one of the, the interesting things with us is, you know, if you listen to one of the first episodes we did was on, you know, why we all used to do CrossFit and we don't do it now. And we all, you know, Olivia included, who obviously she's not here today, but Olivia included, I used to be more of a partier and we, we all used to drink a lot more alcohol than we currently do now. And so there's part of it has been like learning more about it. Part of it has been just the way that our lives have evolved. And part of it has been, for me at least, has been really intentional decision-making based on how alcohol has affected my life. Yeah. And I think that last part is really the key, right? And that's probably what we're going to focus on the most today. It's kind of like how alcohol related to our sense of self and our self-identities because I think that's a piece that a lot of people ignore or get swept under the rug and and covered with this like cultural relationship with alcohol right which is also very like it's a very important thing and I think that comes up a lot for people uh in terms of like the country where you live what is the like cultural uh dialogue around alcohol so for example in the UK like binge drinking culture is huge and it's extremely normalized 
And I think in the US, also pretty normalized in certain areas and in college society, also very much so. In mainland Europe, I feel like it's a bit more of a casual relationship with alcohol, but still fairly frequently involved. And then for like uh, my expat clients in Asia, um, a lot of expat culture is, is very heavily based around drinking, partying, bars, that kind of thing. So like even with just the clients that we have in different parts of the world, we see a lot of different uh, relationships and conversations coming up around alcohol. Oh, and you know what you said just there about the expat community is that I, I think that's kind of all over the world. Like I see that a lot here as well. And honestly, I got to tell you, like when I was traveling a lot as well, and I was starting to reduce my alcohol intake, it's really hard to do because it is such a social lubricant. And we, mm. we've been like socialized from such a young age to see alcohol as this very social thing. And it's even now, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're someone that sometimes chooses not to drink, or maybe someone that's completely sober, I guarantee you've come up at some point in your life against someone being like, why aren't you drinking? Oh no, just have one. And I think that that is, I mean, it's hard to deal with, especially if you yourself aren't extremely sure where you stand on alcohol or maybe you don't have a clear understanding of why you're looking to reduce it or change your relationship with it. So I think before we jump into more of the personal side, we want to talk a little bit more about just helping you understand like what actually happens when you drink. Um, because I think that that's also something that we're not incredibly sure about. We kind of know what it feels like to be tipsy. We know what it feels like to be drunk. We definitely know what a hangover feels like, but <laughs> I think just understanding a little bit more of like what's actually happening in our bodies could be really, really helpful. So I'm going to turn that over to you. Yeah, totally. So I think a lot of people know, even if it's just from like partying scene, they're like, okay, I think there's a idea of like alcohol is like a, a downer, right? People think of it as like a downer. Uh, what that basically means is that it's a central nervous system depressant. So it's like slowing down your overall brain activity. And you can kind of see that in the effects that you tend to have from alcohol, right? So how it affects your mood, mood tends to go lower on the whole behavior, you tend to be slower at things, your reaction times are definitely not as quick, um, and self-control is inhibited, right? So we're, we're, we have less self-control, and we see that in the behaviors that can come up. Um, and so and if you think about the classic, like, drink driving test, where they have you, like, try and walk in a straight line, can you touch it, can you count this thing, can you do this, like, slight not very hard math problem all those things that normally you'd be able to do in like a second aren't, aren't gonna go so well when alcohol is involved and part of that is how alcohol is metabolized in our body right so uh our liver does pretty much all the heavy lifting when it comes to alcohol if alcohol goes into your body the, like your liver is just gonna metabolize that first it's like i don't really care what else i'm supposed to be doing i gotta deal with this shit so i'm gonna metabolize all of this and get like let's try and get this stuff out and the stuff that the liver breaks alcohol down into is like to toxic to our bodies. So ideally we get out of our system as fast as possible, but it's still around in there, which is part of the reason we feel so shitty the next day. But it's also part of the reason why you pee so much more when you're drinking alcohol is because your body being like, hey, let's inhibit the normal thing we have of when we're dehydrated, we don't pee. And instead let's pee more because we've got to get this stuff out. <laughs> like We can't just leave this floating around. And if it is in there floating around, whilst it is in there floating around, because it is for a little while, right? We're seeing like some effects on our brain as we discussed. We're seeing some effects on digestion. 
which is also partly why like your stomach might not feel so good the next day. Yep. Uh, Hangover poops. We all know what those feel like. Yep. Not, not good. So yeah, that's like kind of the physical stuff that we have going on. Long-term wise, it also has a lot of effects on like our hormones and how that those are produced and the balance there. I don't, we don't need to get into like chronic alcohol abuse stuff today, but those would be the basic effects of alcohol. Uh, and then in terms of like, from a nutrition standpoint, we were discussing this before, but I think quite a few people uh, have some kind of impression that like calories from alcohol don't count. I think I think quite a lot of people have heard that like, oh, it doesn't count if it's just from alcohol or if it's from spirits. Well, or there's whatever. like quote unquote zero calorie alcohol. Right, right. Um, whereas what's actually happening is like your body can't use those calories to fuel your body in the way it usually would, but there's still calories in alcohol. And there's actually seven calories in every gram of alcohol. So if we compare that to our other macronutrients, we've got like carbohydrates, four grams, protein, four grams. Wow, I'm saying this wrong. Protein, four calories per gram. Oh yeah. Carbohydrates, four wow, calories per gram. My brain didn't even gram. catch that. I was like, no, and, it is four. Like, yeah. what is she talking about? <laughs> and yeah, and fat, nine calories per gram, right? And so alcohol is seven. So it's kind of in the middle. The difference with alcohol is that your body can't really use it for anything, but it's still having to process it. It's still, it's still cost quote unquote costing you calories. Right. Um, so we're still going to see it, you know, if we're looking at like body composition or whatever, we're, we're, that's still going to have an effect. Um, and if you're thinking about body composition, how it affects hormones and how it affects like protein turnover and that kind of thing, not, not going to be a super positive effect on body composition on the whole. Yeah. I think that covers a lot of it. What have we missed? Yeah, no, I think that, I think that is a really, really great breakdown of it. And I think that one of the things that can be a little bit confusing, but I think you explained really well is that, you know, alcohol is a depressant, but many people, you know, when you drink, when you feel tipsy, when you start to get drunk, you feel happier, but that is like, that has to do with down regulation of your inhibitions. And so you yes. may be like shy and that shyness is now muffled because of what's happening in your body from the alcohol. And so one of the things that has come to light a little bit more now, I think there's a little bit more conversation around it. There's a, a woman who is a therapist and she's from the States. And she, I think she's called- I was just trying to find I think her book. I think her Instagram handle, we'll, we'll put this in the show notes. I think it's called Therapy for Women. I'm pretty sure that's her Instagram handle. And yes. she talks a lot about sobriety. She talks a lot about alcohol's impact on mental health. I think her book it, is not drinking tonight. Yes, 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 yes. And this is something that I think is really important for us to touch on. And this is a really, this for me was one of the big reasons why I choose to, to very rarely drink now is because when you start to become, and this is where mindfulness is really helpful. When you start to become more mindful and really more aware of the fluctuations in your mood, the fluctuations in, in how you think, the fluctuations in the type of self-talk you have, you may notice that, yeah, like when we have a hangover, we kind of know that we feel like crap, but also what is happening to you emotionally? How are you thinking? Like, what kind of things are you saying to yourself? And I think that when you become more aware of that, you may not necessarily associate that with the, with the alcohol intake, but for some people, it is a pretty important impact. And, and this is why becoming more intentional with your alcohol intake and being aware of these effects can be really impactful. Yeah. And I think intention is something we're going to come back to over and over again today. I know we do anyway. Um, but for a lot of my clients who are like, wow, I just can't 
do the, I can't do alcohol moderation. I don't get it. A lot of it just came down to a uh, better understanding of their own priorities, setting their own boundaries and then, and then going in with an intention. So they weren't trying yeah. to be so all or nothing. Although we might've experimented with some all or nothing at the beginning, like let's try a social occasion where you're not drinking and see what happens. Like, yeah, it's an experiment. Um, and most of them are pretty surprised how intentional and how easily they can moderate once they have an idea of what either end can feel like. And then we, and then exploring the middle um, and finding where they want to sit. And if you go in with intention, it tends to end up okay. But we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through like our own journeys with alcohol and like how we reach that point and therefore how we teach others. Yeah. And I think the last thing that we want to touch on is like, what's going on when you have a hangover? Like we know that we are uh, dehydrated. We know that we probably didn't get good sleep. That's another thing that like alcohol really, it, it really does impact your sleep. It impacts your ability to get into deep sleep. And so I don't know, I don't know if this is just me, um, but I'm pretty sure that most people, if they're sort of aware of their sleep cycles, um, I notice it when I'm hungover or when I, when I drink enough alcohol to be like tipsy or drunk that night's sleep, I have wild dreams, wild and usually, I mean, usually for me, that's an indication that I'm not getting a lot of deep sleep. And so what happens, you wake up the next day, you're tired and your body is also kind of at that tail end of metabolizing alcohol. And so you're dealing with kind of trying to get your body back up to a normal level of like a bunch of different hormones in your body. And that can lead to increased anxiety. So if you do have anxiety, you may notice increased anxiety during a hangover. Um, definitely, we talked about the digestive issues, dehydration. Um, also, one of the things that happens is as your body, like your body needs energy to recover. Like whenever you are in a state of like injury or sickness or whatever that is, your body needs energy to recover. And so I think when we talk about like the types of foods that we choose when we're hungover, I think there's two sides to that as well is like one is the habit of eating foods that are more like calorie dense or like less nutrient dense when we're hungover, but also the physical effect of like your body actually does want calories and does want things like carbohydrates to actually get itself back up to like baseline. And so it makes sense that you're craving like I don't know, what do people like breakfast burritos or whatever that is. Um, but again, with intention, you can kind of understand how that fits into your life. So do we want to hop into personal, like our personal stories? Yeah. I'll be really annoying and add on one thing on the sleep thing. Yeah. I love that yeah. you mentioned it. And I actually, yeah, it's a really good subject to bring up because I do think a lot of people, and this, this certainly was me for a while when I was struggling with insomnia, have the idea that, oh, if I have like a, a nightcap, right? Like a yes. nightcap or drinking yes. some alcohol. Oh, it helps you fall, fall asleep. asleep. Yeah, exactly. It helps me fall asleep. Um, and that, you know, we can see that, right? Like the central nervous system being depressed would be great for falling asleep if that was the only effect that alcohol was having, which it's not. And as Julian mentioned, if you have any kind of sleep tracker at all, um, I mean, you can do it subjectively like Julian does, where you're like, how do I feel when I wake up? If you have a sleep tracker, even if you have like one or two glasses of wine, like within a couple of hours of sleep, you will see, you will see the impact on your sleep. You will see the impact on your heart rate variability and on your heart rate, which are all really important indicators of recovery that we want to see in a, in a good place, but alcohol will put in the opposite direction. And so you might fall asleep more easily, but your quality of sleep is going to be way worse. And it, it, you're also more likely to wake up 
very early or wake up during the night because basically mm. you're messing up body core body temperature and you're messing up your your natural like cortisol rhythm um when you do that so yeah the sleep thing was really that was a good well good and, and a really good a, a point on that is so I remember working with a client a couple of years ago now and she came to me one of the reasons that she wanted to work with me to, was to help reduce her alcohol intake because it was it was a habitual thing and as we started to work together she was like well I need this to sleep and when we started reducing her alcohol intake she went through a period where she really struggled to get good sleep and that is totally yeah. normal so I just wanted to mention that because if you are someone that drinks alcohol on a regular basis and when, and you're like, I would like to reduce or stop. And you notice that at first you struggle to sleep. I will, I promise you that that will like your body will re-regulate itself and will come back to baseline. So if you are struggling with that, um, and you want better sleep practices, we did two episodes on sleep. I believe they're episodes 18 and 19, I want to say, or 19 and 20. So go back and listen to those, but Let's get on. Let's let's get to the juicy stuff. Let's get to like our personal yeah, let's do personal stories. You go first. I think, yeah, both, I want to hear both yours. of us. Both of us. Both of us have like some good shit show stories. I think of our relationship with alcohol. Um, and yeah, so I mentioned in the in the UK, people tend to start drinking quite early. Uh, so I would say sort of like fourteen plus, which I think is a little bit younger than the US because the drinking age <laughs> is higher in the well, US. Well, not for. I mean, remember I was raised by a British father. Um, yes. So my first time that I can remember getting really drunk was I was 14, but most people I think start experimenting like late high school, early college. So like 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think we start drinking quite early and there's a big binge drinking culture in the UK. And it, it also kind of went with like the whole like rock and roll scene that I was in. Like that was kind of like the culture. And I know that I know it can be in other cultures too, but it was kind of like the Jack Daniels culture of like drink a lot of whiskey and then like listen to loud music. And for me, I think I've talked about this before on the on the podcast, but for me with a background of like extreme social anxiety, when I look back, I go, oh, I know exactly why I was so attracted to binge drinking. And it was because of the inhibitory effects of, yeah. of alcohol and how much, you know, quote unquote confidence I had when I was drinking versus normally and it was a release it was a massive release I was like wow finally I'm not like trying to overanalyze every single social situation because I'm wasted oh my gosh so Holly this is it's so interesting because so yours yours was like a social anxiety thing mine was a body image thing mine was mm. I had like fucked up teeth my teeth were all messed up and I had had braces like a bunch of times. I was, I was chubbier. I was never the quote unquote pretty girl. And like my, one of my sort of like body image stories has always been like, I'm not the attractive one. And so for me, alcohol was like the moment where I forgot that I had this belief that, that, that guys didn't like me. And so for me, it was, I would forget about my body. I would forget about like my fears about what people thought about my body. And it let me sort of let loose in that way. So it's really interesting that you say that. Yeah. And, and I think already there for both of us, right. There's, there's the red flag is that for both of us, alcohol was uh, a way of avoiding reality. Right. And if that's how you're building your relationship with alcohol, we can see how that would go in a pretty negative direction. Cause we have, we, neither of us actually addressed the root cause of the things that were making us enjoy the inhibitory effects of alcohol so much. We just kept drinking. And so, you know, it definitely became part of my identity that I was a big partier in my yearbook at school, I was voted like quirkiest style and like biggest drinker. 
for the females. And that, and I was oh proud of that. Oh my gosh. You know? That is like yeah, yeah. not the Holly Priestland that we know. It's exactly. Crazy. And, but I, but I was super proud of that. And like, I remember my friends being like, yeah, you know, like it was like me, this tiny little girl. And then this like huge rugby guy. So anyway, like that was part of my identity. And when I went to university, I like two weeks into university, got a job in the metal bar in, in Edinburgh. And then that was like my, my culture. My culture was like, you know, alt, alt scene. And then, which I'm, which I'm still interested in and no longer drink. So I'm not blaming you, I'm not blaming you alt scene. You're fine. Um, <laughs> but, and then the bar scene, right. So I merged those two things together. And, you know, if I wasn't out drinking, I was out working in bars. So my whole life revolved around alcohol scene and, you know, yeah, definitely absorbed that as part of my identity. It was where I got my confidence from. And yeah, it took me a long time to separate those things out. And for me, that happened more, probably not until my last year of university, I drank a lot less because I was in a very stable relationship, confidence, right? Yeah. Came from, came from that. And then Social when I moved support. to Beijing, yeah, exactly. When I moved to Beijing and I had that big lifestyle change and I was separate from people again, again, it came back in the same way where I was like, oh, cool. I can use this to like conquer social anxiety and like make friends and like be a social person. So yeah, that was, that was kind of like the, the worst phase. It was probably like that first couple of years of university. And then my first couple of years of Beijing. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Cause for me, like I have a very distinct, distinct memory in college. So I have a really amazing, I have a couple of really, really amazing girlfriends that I've had for most of my life. And I remember one of my really close girlfriends went to a different university than I did or different college. And we got back together for like Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. And she was like, I'm worried about you. Like, I think you have a problem. And for me, and that it was to the point where uh, the same thing, I sort of took pride out of like being able to drink as much as the guys. And mm. it and was really, you know, when I look back on it, it was my self-confidence was, it had never been lower. And, and I think that the biggest part of that for me was just really trying to fit in, wanting to feel like I was, as attractive as like the skinny girls or the pretty girls or you know the the girls that weren't as loud or didn't have as many opinions and and for me when I started to transition away from that is when I really started to do more things that like lit me up and so I even remember so for me my alcohol sort of ebbed and flowed through probably my mid-20s and I remember when I started to do things like I did a stand-up comedy improv. And then I started to travel more. And I just started to notice that I didn't feel good physically or mentally when I drank alcohol. Then, and this you may relate to as well, is like, well, then when I got really deep into fitness culture, I was like, I can't drink because it's going to make me fat. It's going to ruin my, it's going to like ruin my fitness. And so then it became a fear thing. And it's, you know, we can kind of see similarities between the relationship with food, relationship with alcohol. And I think- you know, getting to the place where I'm at now and looking at it, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy, a crazy journey, but I can relate to that a lot. This like wanting to feel a certain way and having alcohol be the only moment in which you feel that way. But then the next morning sort of like paying for it and being like, oh my gosh, what did I do last night? Like, mm. what did I say? Who did I talk to? In my case, like it was a period of like promiscuity, not super proud of that, but I think it's, fairly common yeah yeah totally and I think I think the promiscuity thing totally comes into it too especially if you're very self-conscious yeah right it's like a okay cool like a 
like lowered inhibition, feel more confident sexually as well as socially. 100%. I mean, yeah, like a, a false confidence, right? But it, But it's there. And yeah, for me, I stopped drinking in classic Holly form. I, I just completely went cold turkey um, and I was planning to just do it for a month because I was going to do my CrossFit L1. And mm. I was like, you know what? I need to stop being so hungover at training all the time so that I can train enough to actually like go and do this thing. And that was my motive. My motivation to quit drinking for one month was like, oh, I, I need to be not hungover enough to train more. And so, so my plan was quit it for a month. And to be honest, it was a very helpful experience because one month felt very manageable. I was like, oh, it's an experiment for one month. Um, and it and it was much easier for me to go to a social event, like go out. I was still going out with my friends. I was still going clubbing with my friends, whatever. And I would just say, oh, I'm just not drinking tonight. I'm not drinking for the next month. And that felt quite easy to say. And it gave me this window of opportunity to experience like going out with friends who were drinking and not drinking myself. And the first couple of times it was weird, but because I was like, oh, I'm doing it for just the month, um, I could keep going with it. And by the end of the month, I was like, oh, actually, like, A, it's not as awkward as I thought to be out with friends who are drinking, even if I'm not drinking. Like, once you get used to it, it's okay. Um, Second was that, like, people don't really care if you're drinking. Like, they'll push you for about five minutes. And then they forget about it. Yeah, they're, they're getting drunk anyway. Like, they don't actually care and if they really do care you're like what's this saying about your relationship with alcohol anyway um so I found that month a really helpful experiment and how much better I felt I was like wait I don't have to be hungover at least one whole day of each week like this is a you end up realizing how incredible it is to wake up on a Saturday morning and you're like I have all day to do things (laughs) and like your stomach doesn't feel terrible and you're not like hating everything. The sunlight isn't like hurting your eyes. It's crazy. Yeah, it's wild, right? So I had this one month experiment and then I went, I did my CrossFit L1 and I came back and I was like, I don't think I want to start drinking again. Like this was actually great. So I just stayed not drinking and I probably drank maybe like twice a year for the next like five, six years. I didn't, I, you know, Again, it's very, it's very classic me to go all in or all out. Um, and it was only really over the last year, maybe, um, that I started trying to be a bit more flexible with it again and be like, oh, if I'm with friends and I'm looking at a menu and I'm like, that drink sounds very interesting, like get the drink. Or like, you know, if I'm watching Wimbledon with people, like have pims, you know, like things where it's like part of the moment or like something actually sounds good I'm that's what I'm practicing at the moment is to, tr- is to try and bring it back in a little bit rather than being completely all or completely nothing and I know that completely nothing works for people and I think I needed that for a while I think I needed yeah. like actual sober life for a while because it was a lot easier to say I'm not drinking than to be like oh, I'm trying to drink less like well, I, I needed it for a while but now I'm trying to go in that in-between area yeah I, I'm kind of where you are right now as well because for me when I was very, very rigid about my diet, I was terrified of the calories and alcohol. Mm. And so when I did drink, it was like, I needed calorie free tonic to go with my gin or whatever it was. And so it would still be, it still felt sort of like a taboo thing. And the fact of the matter is, is like, I don't really like wine or beer. Like, this is the thing is that for me, it wasn't like I used to drink a ton because I really loved drinking beer or I really loved, you know, X, Y, Z drink. 
And so for me, not drinking became something where I realized one, I'm not the kind of person that wants to be up until 6am. Like I live in Spain where that's normal. I don't want to do that. So that was kind of one thing that helped me realize like, this isn't actually the kind of person that I want to be. But also I noticed as I stopped drinking that it was my decision sort of how I interacted with other people when I wasn't drinking. So I think that there were definitely nights when I was very strictly like, you cannot drink, where I would go and be like, this sucks. Everybody else is having fun and I'm not having fun. And then if you think about it as like, I'm choosing to do this rather than I have to do this, then it kind of changes. And also I do have to say that a big part of it is understanding what type of friends you have. And so for me, some friends that I used to only drink with are no longer my friends. And that's because the things that we used to talk about when we were drinking are not things that actually interest me when I'm sober. And I think that's part of, for me, I think that's part of growing up. And so where I'm at with alcohol right now is one of those, I, you know what I actually discovered recently that I love, I mean, I don't love, I, I, I love is a strong word. I like it. It's enjoyable is um, there's this alcohol-free beer here, which I've never really liked beer more than just like the first sip because I find the first sip very like refreshing. And they have this alcohol-free beer that is like fun to drink because you're like, oh, I'm drinking, you know, I'm drinking like a fun thing, but it's also kind of tasty. So that's a fun one for me. But I do, I will get occasionally these these sort of like desires like, oh, I'd really like a gin tonic tonight or I'd really like, you know, vermouth is a big thing here in Spain. And so like a daytime vermouth is a very typical thing to do. And I really enjoy that. I'm going to a vermouth festival next week and I'll probably have one, maybe two. But for me now, I find that because I've worked on including so many other things in my life that really light me up and really make me happy and and really built self-confidence outside of what my body looks like and built self-confidence to understand that like, I'm not going to get along with everyone. Not everyone is going to like me. And that's just how life works. I think for me, that's been really, really helpful in understanding that I can go out and I can decide how I want to interact with the environment and I can choose to drink. I, you know, this is one that I think comes up a lot is I've been single and sober. And so that I think for a lot of people is hard because I've done the online dating thing. I've done the, you know, out in bars, like being like, oh my God, is that boy looking at me thing? And I've done that sober and I've done, or I've done that with like very little alcohol in my system. I, I love electronic music. I've been to like DJ events in a club completely sober. And that is a, it's a really interesting experience because I think it makes you have to know yourself a lot better, which is really cool. Cause then also the next morning you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I have this whole day to not be hungover. Yeah, that's a game changer. Uh, it's so it's so nice to wake up and not feel like shit. But yeah, so I mean, let's say we've got people listening who are like, okay, cool. That's that journey sounds very interesting. Like I'm not there. I'm not at the end of that journey. I'm kind of like in that middle bit. Either maybe they have a bad relationship with alcohol. Or maybe they're just like, hey, I, you know, it's not really where I want it to be. Like I'd like yeah. to have a bit more autonomy, right? Because I think that's really what you're talking about. There is like the autonomy to go. I choose whether or not I'm drinking today. I choose how much I I feel like drinking today. There's a lot of choice involved versus 100%. being either carried along with the current or feeling like you need to lean on alcohol in order to like, yeah, not feel self-conscious or to like feel more like socially uh, lubricated. Um, so let's say someone's kind of in that middle bit of the journey where they're exploring it. What would your recommendations be for getting started with that? Yeah, I would say, I think 
one thing that for me, I wish that I had had was an ally, like someone that I could talk to about this and be like, Hey, you know, I'm really interested in reducing my alcohol intake. You know, I'm noticing the, you know, X, Y, Z things are happening. Just someone to talk to about that. And even if, and I know that you may be thinking like none of my friends get this and that's fine. That's the beauty of things like social media. That's the beauty of things like Facebook groups. Um, you know, even like living here in Spain, there's uh, on, like face, there's literally Facebook groups like dedicated to women that are looking for friends in, in a new place. And a lot of the women that post things will say like, Hey, like I'm sober. Anybody want to go like to a sober party with me or whatever that is. And so I think that having, knowing that that support is available, I think is really helpful. And I think probably the second thing is to just ex explore in your mind what it might be like in your social situations. If you drank less or didn't drink, like just explore that and see what comes up for you. Yeah, I think that bit's really important, right? So it's A, setting up a social environment to allow you to experiment, but mm -hmm. then B, working out like, what does alcohol do for you right now? Yeah. Because if you don't, like, what need is it filling? Benefit. Yeah, it's doing something for you. Like, what is that need? And then you can work on, like, simultaneously setting up that environment where you get to experiment with sometimes not including it, sometimes trying to include it. And at the beginning, you might have to be quite structured with it and it won't feel very flexible and, like, Things don't uh, feel know, intuitive autonomous. from the beginning, guys. Like just no, it's anybody that's like... listening, like you can't just, like things don't just become intuitive because you decided to do them. Right. So you'd start off by being like, okay, this week I have two social events. Uh, the easiest one for me to experiment with not drinking at is the one on Friday. So I'm going to not drink on that day. And then on Saturday, if I want to drink, I'll drink then. And I'll just compare the two. And I'll just like start gathering some data. Um, and then you might have a week where you go, okay, I'm going to try not drinking at all my social events this week and just see how it feels. And the next week I'm going to drink at it, like start off like that. And then over time you can start to build in like, yeah, oh, I'll try just two drinks. So I'll try just one or whatever. Um, but you need, you need the, you need the structure so that you could get flexible and you need to understand like what benefit is it giving me so that I can go in mentally prepped to deal with the thoughts that are going to come up about body image or a social anxiety or whatever that need is that's it's being filled for you. Yeah. And I think that this is where like the ally part, if you do, like, if you do have a friend that even if they're still drinking and you can just share that with them, that's also because you guys know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, that I have no problem saying like, like setting boundaries. Like that's not boundaries that I struggle your superpower. With. Yeah. I, and, and other people really struggle with that. So that's why I said the part about like the social support of the ally, because having someone alongside when you're like, Oh no, I'm not drinking tonight. And someone's like, Oh, come on, have one. Like that, having that ally might be enough to just like, like for me, I will step in for a friend and be like, Hey, like, can we move on? Can we talk about something else? Like, this isn't interesting to me. Right, well, and I will literally say something like today. that. Yeah. You have a, a backup. Exactly. And, and sometimes that's not an option, but whatever. But I think all, one other thing that's really helpful is noticing in your life where drinking alcohol is a habit, because I think that this is something that is really, really underrated is, and this happens with like overeating. This happens with so many other things in our lives is noticing where it's become a, a, an automatic behavior for you to drink. That may be, you know, I have a client right now who she's like, I never realized until we started working on mindfulness, I never realized that every single time I go out with my friends, because in Spain, all everybody ever does is just like, go get something to drink. Like, vamos a tomar algo is like, always. 
And so she's like, I never noticed that I instinctively just order a beer. I've never checked in with myself to see if I wanted the beer. And so for her, experimenting with drinking less simply had to do with like checking in with, am I doing this as a, as a habit or am I doing this because I want to? Yep. And that Absolutely. in itself may reduce your alcohol intake without you even really putting like overthinking it. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that's something that at first you'll need to maybe structure in that like self-check-in, yeah. right? And yeah. And if you're working with a coach that can be during your check-in with your coach going, hey, I've got these social events coming up this week. Here's how I'm going to check in with myself at each one. And that in itself can, can have just have, like having planned when you're going to check in with yourself can be a good way of doing that. Like, are you going to do it before you leave the house? Like, oh my, the hands on the, the doorknob as I'm about to leave the house. That's when I'm going to go, okay, cool. Like, what do I feel like today? And then you leave. Like, is that easier than trying to do it once you get to the bar? Like working out where you're going to do that pause and check in with myself thing be really helpful there but yeah the habit thing's super important that was a great one to bring up um, yeah yeah and and anything else that you would add I mean I think that there there's so many ways to reduce alcohol intake if that's interesting for you there's and there's also a lot of there's a lot of support online for this I think it's become I want to say that be, because of I think because of the pandemic and a lot of people were habitually turning to alcohol as more of like a comfort thing. I think now as we're sort of moving towards like normalizing COVID in a way, I think that a lot of people are realizing like, hey, this has become a habitual thing that I've used to support. And so there's a lot more people that are becoming more sober curious or really reducing their al alcohol intake. Personally, I'm going to just say this. I don't like labels. Like I don't label myself as sober. I don't label myself as a drinker. Like if I want to drink, I have a drink. If I don't want to drink, I'm not going to have a drink. But for yeah, some people, I, that label is for some people it works. Some yeah, people it works. Right. And, and for me, for those years, it did. It helped a lot. It helped a lot to be like, I don't drink. And it helped a lot to not to be drinking at all. And, yeah. and you're allowed to change. You're allowed to change. Over oh, yeah. Time. So like it might work. That label might work for you for a while. And then you might change it, you know, so. I think that's fine. But yeah, like if you are trying to experiment with it, yeah, you could, there's alcohol, there's a lot of alcohol free drinks these days. There's alcohol free beer. Um, but you could also just be getting like uh, bitters, soda water, and lime is like a really nice alternative that still comes in a glass, still looks kind of alcohol y. Like yeah. you're not ready to be like countering. I used lots to of lie reactions. to people. Like I would order like soda water with a lime and I would lie to people. If I didn't want them to like bother me, I would just be like, oh yeah, it's a whatever. If you, and if you're at the beginning of doing this stuff and you're not confident with setting boundaries yet, that might be that might be a way you start. And like over time, do we want to get to the point where you're confident enough to be like, yeah, this is soda water. This is soda water in a glass with some lime. And like, I'm cool with that. And I like it. Um, yeah, sure. That's where we'd love to be. But if at the start it helps you to like, yeah, you know, be circumnavigating some of the social perceived social awkwardness, like, okay, like do that to experiment until you feel confident enough. But yeah, yeah like, the ability to set boundaries. So we will 100% put our boundaries episode in the show notes for this again. Um, being able to set boundaries and, and be a little bit assertive, uh, I think our skills are going to be really important for you in navigating and changing your relationship with alcohol if that's something that you want to do. Yeah. And if you have any questions about this or about our process or anything like that, please, please, please reach out because we've both been through this. I have definitely 
had some pretty difficult conversations with people where they've been like, I don't understand why you're not drinking or like just have one. And people do pressure like that. People pressure even, I mean, I've even talked, I've had clients where their, their partners would pressure them. Mm. And so understanding how to formulate a boundary that you feel comfortable with is comfortable with is really important. And I just want to let you know, also, if you're listening, like you do not owe anyone an explanation, like no is a complete sentence. And so if someone says like, oh, you're not drinking tonight, you can very easily just say no. And that is it. You don't need to explain anything. You don't need to give excuses. Like that can be your reasoning is no, period. Yeah, totally. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read that book. Um, They're not drinking tonight book. I'm, I'm interested in how she's, and you can follow therapy for women at therapy she's for women great. on Instagram. Um, She does do a few posts about it and how to navigate like not drinking in social situations, if that's something that you want to try. Uh, so yeah, you can always hop over there as well. Yeah, I think that's a great one. You know what? I might do a post on this at some point, or maybe, I don't know. I think this is an interesting topic. And I think it's one that we have culturally, I mean, no matter what culture you're from, we have weird relationships with alcohol. Like here in Spain, the relationship with alcohol is definitely not as much of a binge drinking culture as the US or the UK but it's still very strange for people not to have a beer when you go out with your friends to get something to eat or whatever that is. And yeah, anyways, I'm going to shut up now and just ask you if you love, wait, are we, are we done? We're done. I think think we're we're done. done. I think we're done. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and give it a share. Let us know what you think. Your feedback is always so incredible to receive. And please make sure that you are following us on both Spotify and Apple or, and, or Apple podcasts, or really anywhere else that you get your podcasts. We're on quite a few different platforms. And if you would like to leave us a review, I think Apple podcasts is the only one where you can do that. Please do that. Cause that would just be lovely. And with that, my friends, um, I'm sending love to Olivia. If she is listening, we miss her. Um, and little mango, mango, little mango, and we will see you back here again for another episode very soon.